0: Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and this is the Beyond Being Well podcast. Here at the show, we are passionate about helping you. Helping you build deep relationships with yourself, the earth, and others. Helping you foster a deep, embodied sense of well-being and empowerment. Helping you slow down, work sustainably, and consume mindfully and helping you create social change from the inside out. So settle in, get cosy, and let's get straight on with the episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Meg. And I'm just checking in to see how you're doing. I'm just wondering what's coming up for you and how are you feeling? If you're anything like me, you're probably feeling all the things and what I've been doing within myself is just making pockets of time most days to allow in a safe place some of the feelings that are coming up to acknowledge them, without even needing to process them or get through them, just acknowledging them and recognizing that they're here and that that's okay and that that's hard so I really just want you to know that I'm holding space for you, whatever's going on in your experience, and I'm also witnessing the fact that you're still listening, that you're still standing, I see your resilience and your strength, even with all, whatever's going on in your experience, so I'm here for you, and feel free to reach out if you want to connect or you feel like you need to be plugged into the community of the school right now because I'm here. Before I get into the chat with Becca, um, I just wanted to share that in this conversation we talk a lot around um, just an alternative view of wellness and really shifting the paradigm of wellness and I feel like if anything's going to come out of whatever's happening right now, it's that our, the paradigm has to change, right? Because suddenly we're not going to yoga studios and we're not going to gyms and we're still consuming wellness but with a bit of a difference. And so my invitation is as you reflect on this conversation and wherever you are today to just have full permission to Do wellness your way and to really not judge or shame whatever your responses are right now and whatever you're choosing to do with your time, to deeply trust that it's enough, to deeply trust that you're doing the best you can and to trust that there's no there to get to. I think so many of us feel the pull to, during this time when we're at home, to get fit or do a million wellness classes online. And, and what Becca and I are saying in this conversation is really coming back to the simple things, sleeping well, eating nutrient-dense foods, connecting with nature and the earth, connecting with other people and just recognising your own cycles and limits and that it's really can be as simple as that and it can be done in 10 minutes five minutes there is no it doesn't have to look like anything so I've been working really hard to bring through the details for the grounded program that I'm running and initially I was thinking oh it's a program around just staying really connected during these times and just like managing stress right and then I was like yeah, but the whole fucking paradigm's changing here in terms of wellness. And I've always been advocating for that change. And here we are. And so this program needs to be something different to anything we've seen before. And so, what I'm planning to do in that four months together is really change the whole perspective on wellness. In this conversation, Becca and I talk about minimal wellness, which is her term. I talk about regenerative wellness, which is really about using this as an opportunity to do wellness in the mirror of the image of the world that we want to see, right? In the reflection of the world we want to see. And that extends to how we're caring for ourselves, how we're talking to ourselves, what we're choosing to do with our time and energy and If we can use this time to, in air quotes, do wellness in a reflection of the world that we want to see after this, then I feel like there's an enormous opportunity to expand and change the wellness paradigm from me to we. And that's what I'm so excited about. So the Grounded program is really the scaffolding within the school. It's the program on which everything else is built. And it's really an opportunity to practice devotional self-care as social leadership. And it's really for those people who want to lead, but want to do so from a place of overflow and wholeness. There's those women that want to lead within their communities and families and businesses who are feeling the activation and whose basic safety is taken care of. Although we'll focus on that in the program as well. And really changing the paradigm of martyrdom and needing to run headfirst into the fire to one of I give from a place of overflow and my devotional practice to self is service and it allows me to expand into service. And bringing in a whole lot of um, guest mentors to talk about what grounded means to them in order to create within you a regenerative wellness plan that is for life. Like it's not just for these times. Like we can only give from a place of feeling deeply worthy of receiving whatever it is, whatever type of nourishment we're talking about. So when we build worth and we build value, even in times of crisis, when we believe we're really worthy of being nourished, our capacity to create impact and change from the inside out and to sustainably lead for the long game is here. So I'm using these four months to gather us within the school really close, to sit in circle, to learn some of these tools, to really deeply reflect on what wellness means in a broader context of the we, not just the me, and to build the inner and outer resources we need, that we're going to need, because let me tell you this, that in the months and years to come, those of us who have been adopting a slow living approach, those of us who have been called to serve in a deeper way, those of us who are building socially inspired businesses, those of us who are parenting in a conscious way, we are going to be called on to influence the new paradigm and the new world that is going to be built after this. And my interest is in ensuring that every single person that answers that call within the school community is a resource to do so, and it absolutely has to start with a deep devotion to self, with a feeling of we are worthy of receiving support and nourishment. And so that is where I'm taking the program and I'm so excited about it. So we're starting on April 21st. I'm also opening up the Unbound Space, which is my um, socially conscious business program that's just finished. And I'm opening that place up for four months of circles and support and live trainings. And you'll also get access to the six trainings that we've already had and a whole bunch of resources and just full access to me to help you in your business during these times. So you can check all of that out at megberryman.com. And now for my chat with Becca. So Becca is um, just an amazing woman. I'm so glad we connected this year online and I was even more grateful to have this conversation with her Um, So she's a dietitian in the US and her approach to wellness is really refreshing in that her and I both really um, aim to challenge the kind of industrial wellness complex. So in this conversation, we talk really honestly about where we're at and um, how we're nourishing ourselves. And Beck shares her tips on staying nourished. And um, it's just a beautiful conversation. It's not heavy it's um, just a reminder to come back to what you already know and to embody that wisdom in a deeper way. So I hope you enjoy. Becca, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Meg.
0: I'm so glad. We've, we've been trying to have this conversation for a long time and now I feel like it was divine timing that it didn't happen till now um, because I feel like there is much for us to talk about uh, during these times.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to start with a question I ask everyone which is what is a change that you want to see in the world and how are you currently expressing that or exploring that
1: mm. yeah so I, for my whole like adult life I've just felt this need to be both a caretaker and to help people and by extension society like be healthier in all of the ways that we exist in the world. So, you know, physically, emotionally, uh, environmentally, and spiritually. So like all of the different aspects of health. Um, I I particularly have um, expertise in nutrition um, and lifestyle. So I I tend to focus a little bit more on that than the um, environmental side or spiritual side of things. But it's all connected. Right. And so I try to help people understand that their individual health is, is really the foundation by which we can then go out into the broader community and our society and be better, more whole parts of the, of the society and our community. And so right now, gosh, (laughs) with everything going on with the uh, coronavirus and, um, that everyone's lives being so disrupted. I'm really trying to, to center myself and my family and ground ourselves and be a source of like calm inspiration for other people and help them be able to nourish themselves and take care of themselves um, so that they're not feeling as, as ungrounded and, um, you know, chaotic as they might otherwise feel. So that's kind of where things are right now, but yeah, it's a big time.
0: (laughs) Really, it really is. And thank you for sharing. I love this idea of um, working with the individual um, around this concept of wholeness, knowing that that contributes to the greater whole. I love that word whole. It just felt really resonant this morning, talking to you about that. I wonder like how your journey evolved and how you came to be doing this work was it always something that you desired to do or is it your own health journey like I would love to hear what got you here
1: mm, yeah so I I grew up in a really um kind of wholesome family in a wholesome place um I grew up in the American Midwest and we lived on a hobby farm and my parents grew vegetables and we had tons of land to run around and be free and connected with nature. And, um, so I grew up, you know, really healthy and, um, you know, I have a, a strong bond with my parents, um, strong bond with my siblings. I have three younger siblings and, you know, my mother, uh, stayed at home with us when we were little, um, and, you know, cooked us amazing meals and we had a garden and, you know, so I just really, from a young age, um, valued feeling good <laughs> and being connected with nature and feeling healthy. And um, as I, you know, got into my teenage years and you know was an athlete in high school and went into college, uh, floated around aimlessly for a few years in college, and then really came back to the idea of. Of food as nourishment and helping people uh, feel and be whole, and so I discovered the the career of a dietitian and dove into that. Um, and I took my first job as a dietitian up in uh, remote Alaska, um, here in the states, and worked at a hospital in rural Alaska for a year, and then I came down to missoula montana um it's a northern mountain state in the u.s and um i worked at a university here in montana for a decade and i worked on the in in food service so i i helped improve the the healthfulness of the meals that we served on campus and i worked to procure a lot of uh local foods and new local foods and we started a bunch of gardens on campus and did a lot of like health and wellness initiatives on campus to improve the, the well-being of our students. Um, and I did a lot of one-on-one counseling with students uh, while I was there. And then about five years ago, actually four years ago, sorry, uh, I left and started a, a web-based private practice. Um, so it's been kind of a, <laughs> a lifelong interest of mine, just being healthy and helping other people be healthy and realizing the value of, um, of having a really grounded, nourished center um, as, a, as a human being. Like, I just think that that's like the foundation that we all need in order to do the work we're called to do in the world. And if we're not nourished and grounded, it's virtually impossible for us to be um, like effective as a, as a full being, right? Like we might, <laughs> we might be able to, to, to do really well in a certain narrow aspect of our life, but like um, we really aren't going to feel whole and full. And when we're not feeling whole and full, then we tend to, to do damage in one way or another or in many ways <laughs> uh, either to ourselves or the people around us or our society at large and I think that we see a lot of that going on today you know people aren't healthy they're not whole and as a consequence we do a lot of damage to each other and to the planet
0: um, yeah I love that I, I really love this concept of like we're not satiated, like we're not satisfied, we're not we're not full. And yeah. so we're looking for all the things to fill us up. And particularly in these times, like we were just having a conversation before um we were pressed pressed record about how you know I'm really feeling pulled to comfort eat right now. <laughs> like I really yeah. want to fill myself <laughs> up to ground myself. Like I'm trying to ground myself through mm-hmm. food except like not in, not with healthy fats and not with the things that are grounding, right? I'm doing it through whatever we've been taught to reach for. And I yeah. think it's like this um, beautiful opportunity whilst also recognising that there are so many people whose immediate stability and safety and security is threatened and therefore their focus must be on that survival state, right? And food Absolutely. is part of that. Also, for those of us who are not in that survival state, um, that there's this really beautiful opportunity, I think, to come back to the practices and the rituals and the nourishment, um, on an individual and family level. And to really, it's like, I keep saying, we didn't learn this 10 years ago. you know, we didn't get it, like mm-hmm. we got it. And then we moved on and then mm-hmm. it became something else. And so it's like, no, it's coming back to this idea of nourishment on a broader on a a broader level really focusing on those things that you talked about like in the school we teach community and cyclical living and connection and um like these elements of wellness which um which kind of are the missing puzzle pieces for me like they've always been the things that we're not talking about enough and Mm -hmm. here we are with this opportunity to be there and to meet that again and to learn it in a different way. And so I have loved your Instagram posts of what you're eating. Like it's really grounding to me to just be like, yeah, I see that. Like it's, and, and that practice of you sharing it is really nourishing me at the moment. So thank you. But I wonder like what you're seeing in terms of this particular time, the challenges around our food and nourishment, and then how we can work with that. Like, what are some just basic things that we can start to look at if we are in a state of not, I guess, in that survival mode too much?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things you mentioned was like feeling the the desire to like soothe with baked, th- you know, s- sweets and baked things. And um, that's one thing that gets called up a lot for people when there's a, an anxiety, you know, an anxious feeling either with them or with someone they're close to or just in the collective, right? Like there's so much anxiety right now that even if, you know, you're in a place where, like you were saying, like your life is not actually all that different at the moment anyways um, than it is normally. And yet there's so much, you know, anxious energy around us, um, that we're all feeling that. And one of the ways that we, as a species tend to try to soothe ourselves is with, you know, sweet things with sugary things. And so the, the inclination to go in that direction is, is innate. Right. And so I think at least for me, one of the first things to think about when we're coming up against that is, is not to feel any sort of Shame about that or any um worry or concern but like try to find the balance between honoring that that need for a bit of like food soothing um you know via baking because also the the act of just cooking something or baking something is really um it's meditative and it's soothing and so um we can honor the the interest in baking, um, by doing a little bit of baking, but also by redirecting it a bit and doing some cooking and doing some sort of meditative preparation of food. Right. And so trying to, to get some of that soothing energy, um, infused into other food preparation besides just baking that's sort of what i'm trying to do a bit now is is see preparing food and cooking food um as a as a as a form of meditation and a way of introducing some quiet and calm you know i'll turn on some really nice music ella my daughter and i um she's six are here in montana the two of us. My husband is unfortunately stuck in LA at the moment, um, <laughs> and so it's just the two of us. And we're we're listening to music. We're eating, you know, nourishing food. We did bake yesterday. We baked yesterday. She was uh, really interested in doing some baking, so we made some cookies and gave them most. Of, we gave most of them away, right? Like it was just the act of of making the thing that was the most interesting and the most, um, satisfying for us. Like not, not to say we didn't have any, we don't, we still have some here, but, um, it was more just like we wanted this thing to do that was quiet and meditative and and soothing. Um, so we gave some away to the neighbors and some away to a you know fr- couple friends across the street. Um, with social distancing (laughs) in place. But yeah, uh, it's just a really nice time to try to both honor our needs and also not overly indulge them. Because one of the challenges that we might run into is that if we go too much in the direction of soothing ourselves, particularly with like sugar, um, that will actually start feeding the anxious feelings. <laughs> Cause sugar is one of those things that just like a little bit is soothing, but a lot is actually stimulating. And so it ends up going in the opposite direction. Um, same with stuff like caffeine and alcohol, like all those things that we think are soothing, um, in small amounts end up being really damaging in large amounts. So that's a balance that I'm, uh, personally trying to walk. I haven't been doing caffeine for a long time, so that one's pretty easy for me. Uh, the alcohol is also, at this point, easy, although it wouldn't have been so easy for me to to be in this place, I don't know, six months ago or something like that. You know, I would have been much more inclined to have a glass of wine or something to calm down and to soothe the stress, but i um, gone through a decent amount of <laughs> of tapering all of that sort of external soothing off, you know, and doing more of the meditation, the yoga, the cooking is meditation instead.
0: Mm, It's so true. It's like the, um, the idea of these things feels really supportive in the short term. And then, but just even thinking about those, um, those types of stimulants or depressants, it's, it is, it doesn't feel grounding. And I think right now, as you were talking, I was just reflecting on, um, I think a lot of what I've experienced with our food systems here is, and I'm not sure if it's the same way there, I presume it is, is that because the food itself is not grounded in the same seeds and lineages that our ancestors used, then it's kind of the food itself is ungrounded, right? Like the food itself is not tying us back to that sense of nourishment and groundedness and remembrance. And mm. so I think that's where a lot of people are going to come through this feeling really cool to grow their own food, which is wonderful. I can't get my autumn seedlings anywhere because people panic buying seedlings, which is really <laughs> wonderful that I live in a place so that's where, what our soothing response is. Um, and I'm excited about that. But I also, you know, one of my most cherished parts of my garden is some asparagus spears that um, were from my grandfather who farmed Mm. them and strikes me as like um, there's this just just even though we can eat nourishing foods like the food system itself is ungrounded at the moment and yes absolutely I wonder like if you can share your reflections on on that and of course knowing everyone is in a really different uh, like you and I are are in places where there 's wide open spaces at the moment, which is really soothing to the nervous system. A lot of people are stuck in smaller places in cities, so i'm just wondering like with the choices we 're making around our food purchasing and what we 're eating at the moment, what are just some like general guidelines in terms of both what we 're eating that's nourishing and soothing during these times, but also how we get it and where we should start looking to now we've got a bit more space as well to look into our family's nourishment to get us through these times
1: yeah absolutely I love that um image of your grandfather's asparagus like the (laughs) asparagus in of itself is just this amazing vegetable that you know is at least here it's you know the first thing that comes up oftentimes in the spring and it's just, it just pops up out of nowhere seemingly. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's so tasty and I just love it. Um, but yes, like we are disconnected from the source of our food. And so one of the things that can be so, so grounding and nourishing is finding some way of reconnecting with the source. Um, and whether that's, growing your own food outside in a garden plot or if you're in an apartment you know you can grow microgreens or you can um you can do like a little lighted hydroponic garden or you know there's ways to do indoor gardening that might be appealing it might not be appealing (laughs) um but getting to know the people, you know, if you can't produce your own food or you're not particularly interested in doing that, you know, you can get to know the people who are producing it, whether that's going to farmers markets or participating in what what we in the States call community supported agriculture or CSAs, where you as an individual purchase like a certain portion of a farm's production capacity for that year and you generally will get a box of food from that farm. Um, so that's a beautiful way of being able to connect with what's being grown in your local area without doing it yourself um, and also cultivating a sense of community and connection through that uh, with other people. Um, but even if you don't do the farmers market or CSAs, um paying more attention when you're grocery shopping to finding things that are grown locally. And I think the closer we get our our sourcing of our food to where we live, um, the more nourishing it becomes, not just on a nutrient level. (laughs) It is generally speaking a bit more nourishing because you know the food's not traveling as far, it's not being stored for as long. So you just get fresher, higher quality food. But from, a, from an energetic and sort of lineage connection, like you were saying, I think that there's, um, there's a certain value in being attached to things that are grown in your region. Um, and that, that because they grow there, they have the properties that are sort of necessary to thrive there, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it does for sure. I was just thinking um, as you were talking, I was like, I was just because my whole life at the moment is like doing these equations of some activity that I set up for the kids, how long is it going to last and then how long is it going to take to clean up, right? So it's like I'm constantly doing this maths in my head and I was just thinking, um, you know, like, you could buy organic seeds and start your propagation that way but then over time as those vegetables come through like you can have a household seed bank that does have the nutrients like those seeds over time will have the nutrients and we'll have the soil profile of of the soil here Mm -hmm. and um it just feels like this idea of place place is really important at the moment and like I've heard these beautiful descriptions of, you know, when you move house and you move to a new place and then in four days, your whole biochemistry reflects that place because you're drinking the water, you know, and then that is kind of who you are is the place that you're in. And it's the same with our food. And so I love that invitation to buy locally because it's like where we're anchoring ourselves in a place, you know, our, through our, nourishment through what we're taking in and then we have a chance to cultivate that place you know within the family and and for future generations as well Um, even if that person doesn't end up living there like the asparagus you know is from a completely different part of Australia where that was grown, but it's really thriving here. So yeah, yeah. I, I love your philosophy of, and we've had a couple of discussions. I call it regenerative wellness. You call it minimal wellness, but can you talk about what you mean by minimal wellness? Like what that means to you and what that looks like? And I guess how you came to define that and, uh, work with that as a concept.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for me, minimal wellness is the idea that, um, that we don't need a lot of extraneous inputs to create wellness, right? We need nourishing food. We need movement. We need connection with, you know, the people closest in our lives, with our communities. Um, we need a certain amount of spiritual, spirituality, you know, that, and that can look vastly different for, for different people, but that we don't need <laughs> a, We don't need consumption um, to be included in the idea of wellness. And I think that one of the big, at least one of my personal pet peeves is the industrial wellness complex, so to speak, (laughs) that just peddles um, consumption, right? They peddle face creams and eye masks and the perfect workout outfits and, you know, butt lifting exercises and (laughs) like (laughs) all of these things that um, I really, I I don't think that that's, it's A, A, not necessary. And I think it all gets in the way of people understanding how to cultivate and feel healthy and whole. Right. And so my idea of minimal wellness is to help people understand that we really don't need a lot of, uh, expertise or money or, you know, um, time on our hands to, to be well and to feel whole. We just need to focus on a, cer- a certain, small group of things, um, group of activities and actions and be really good about repeating those over the days and weeks and years and months and
0: I said that backwards but you get the point <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally it's really even like at the moment I'm finding 10 minute pockets you know I, I, I also think the industrial wellness complex what it does is it is it feeds on pain points and therefore creates more of them so it's yes. like this never-ending cycle of like there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it and I remember when I was really unwell and I was kind of on my own healing journey and just being in a state of anxiety about all the wellness things I had to, in air quotes, do, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, I think it's that idea of the all or nothingness of the industrial wellness complex, which I think I can literally achieve the same physical state from 10 minutes of yoga nidra than I could having a two-hour nap you know like it's not about time and it's not about necessarily money and it's not about um basically all the things we've been taught about wellness as you said there's these like parts of wellness which can create such a profound impact on an internal level um and that's connection and that's um community and that's like you know for me cycles and cyclical like cyclical um living around my Mm menstrual cycle like that's been really profound and those things don't cost any money and they can really short amount of times throughout the day and I think the but I think the basis of that is a conversation and a responsibility or a relationship with our bodies to be able to listen and understand what it is that they desire. And I think for someone that that connection doesn't feel so strong right now, for whatever reason, trauma or whatever, like how do you suggest starting that conversation so that we may know when we're hungry we we may know when we need to move? Like how do we start to cultivate that relationship do you think?
1: Yeah. So I generally start with most of, the people that I work with talking about values first and trying to help people understand what matters in their life, right. To them, what's important to them. Uh, what does health and well-being look like to them? Right. And, and going at it from that more tangible realm, right. So people can put words to, you know, what, you, what sort of diet helps them feel good, right? And what sorts of movement practices help them feel good? And from there, moving toward a, a slow and gradual understand, deepening and understanding of, of what good actually feels like in your body <laughs> and the different ways that different behaviors impact how you're feeling right and it's like a slow process of of learning and understanding and like unwrapping your your internal world and how your body responds to all of the different parts of the external world keeping in mind that like it's really one and the same right like it's a system where our bodies respond to the things that we surround ourselves with. And so um, just kind of learning to pay attention to both the external and the internal, but realizing that it's generally kind of one and the same, right? So like um, what we surround ourselves with is oftentimes how we end up feeling on the inside. And if we end up feeling like shit on the inside, um, <laughs> we tend to tune out of that, right? We tend to avoid it. We tend to not want to engage with it and we go, we become really disassociated with our internal feelings. And so by the time I generally work with people, that's where they're at, right? They're generally pretty darn disassociated with their hunger and satiety cues with, um, with, either over-exercising or under-exercising, you know, and how our bodies respond to both of those states. Um, I don't generally get a whole lot of people that are in the middle ground, you know, with, resp- with respect to, to exercise and movement. Um, and so I, I guess I don't really have, like, a, a really great general suggestion for people other than um, just to start tuning in. To your body at various times throughout the day. If it's you know hunger and satiety cues that you're particularly interested in, um, paying attention before your meals and after your meals is a good place to start. You know, like seeing what your body feels like before you eat a meal. Um, if you're the one that's preparing a meal, see how your body's feeling while you're preparing that meal, and then you know during the meal. Obviously, it's, a good, it's helpful to to be listening to the different cues that you're experiencing both at the start, the middle, the end, and noticing how like your food tastes different at the start of a meal versus how it tastes at the end of a meal or um, how your interest in that food will change over the course of a meal. Um, And then after you're finished paying attention to like, how your satiety feels, and then how it starts dissipating with time, right? And what you'll end up noticing is, is it like you were saying earlier with cycles, like it becomes this really interesting and beautiful cycle, where you'll, when you nourish yourself with, you know, wholesome foods, generally speaking, you fall into this really nice pattern of you know three-ish meals a day and there's no (laughs) there's no right or wrong way of of doing you know your meal patterning necessarily but just for simplicity's sake you know you fall into a pattern of three meals a day um and this really nice sort of sine wave of like feeling hungry but like not starving or ravenous right but like you you find a good place where you want to be a certain amount of hungry before you start your meals and you eat your meal and you're a certain, uh, po- you're at a certain point in your satiety and, um, you know, four hours, five hours later, you're feeling like back at that hunger point again and the cycle repeats itself. Yeah. So there's, it's all about like figuring out which place you want to start off like which place feels most necessary for you in terms of, of learning to tune into your internal signals Um, and being patient with yourself and realizing that you probably spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years tuning out of your body. (laughs) And so it's not all going to come rushing back in with like perfect, obvious clarity. Right, you have to re you have to relearn those signals. You have to relearn your body, um, and you know, cultivate that respect and appreciation for it and what it does and its wisdom. And that's a process, right? It doesn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah, and I love that as a concept. Just um, tuning back into the wisdom as an antidote to the idea that our goal in all of this is to look a certain way, you know, Mm -hmm. in rather it's how we want to feel and how we want to feel in our bodies. And I think the fourth, you know, the fourth missing part of the wellness puzzle for me is, is always being compassion. And that's just my own patterning around how I was raised and, and not having that compassionate voice to meet myself. And so I think that's sometimes why we don't want to, really connect because we think that by connecting we we have to attach that that kind of capitalist or patriarchal or whatever it is that that voice of like well obviously you're doing it wrong or obviously like this is wrong or labeling it as wrong or right and if we're hungry it's like there's judgment there and so I just think it's that, that that the wisdom is there it's never been not there it's just that there's been some stuff like overlaid over the top of it and and I think it's that process as you say of like gradually allowing that wisdom to be remembered and that's not about yeah. how you look because like I've found that when I'm the most nourished I mean my body like it looks, it's looked really different at different stages of my life, you know, depending mm-hmm. on whether whether I've had babies or not babies or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when my body, like in air quotes, looked the most, the best in in what I thought, according to the gaze that we've been taught to embody, was when I was getting up for the gym at like five fifteen every morning. Um, with all the adrenaline and just like flogging myself. And then I'd be back at the gym at lunchtime in between work and I'd be partying really hard on the weekends. Like I was not healthy, you know, I was not like like, internally nourished or grounded. So I love this as an opportunity, I think, in this time also to find more compassion for ourselves. Like that's the only way that I've found to be able to really connect with wisdom is, to meet whatever is here with that level of compassion and and not judgment or shame, yeah,
1: that's absolutely beautiful uh, yeah yeah the the compassion, the lack of judgment, the letting go of shame, right, like that's
0: yeah, that's huge. the shame, I imagine must be a huge thing for you know for a lot of clients that you work with as well, like I think we carry so much shame about our food habits, about how we eat and um, I wonder, like, how how you work with that. Like, what's your approach to starting to, like, not carry that shame?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, I think it comes back to helping people understand that there's no, like, to let go of the external validation, right, whatever that was, whether it's, like you were saying, the gaze that we've been taught to to desire or the external validation of a parent or um you know a spouse or a significant other or you know a really unhealthy um relationship right where it's you know some sort of you know abusive relationship around around food or around exercise and um, to to let go of those voices you know that are in your head, or God forbid, if they're still around, right? Um, to maybe remove yourself from those environments where you're getting that signaling, and learning to pay attention instead to what helps you feel good, right? And it's not—it's not necessarily something that I can do with that person alone right? Like if there's deep levels of trauma there, you know, they generally do need to be working with like a a psychologist or something along those lines. Um, that's, you know, wise with trauma. Um, but I can help. Right. And, and generally speaking, it's talking about the individual scripts that they have around food or exercise or body image. Right. And it's not generally there aren't specific things, right? So like a, one client might say, you know, I, you know, I have to go running five times a week for, you know, however many miles and, you know, I'll talk to her about that and be like, well, <laughs> why, you know, and all oh, because, you know, I um, had a coach in high school that told me, you know, I wouldn't, I'd I'd never be as good as I wanted to be unless I was, you know, abusing my body in this way. Um, or, you know, there's an endless number of, of scripts and reasons. Um, but helping to individually unpack those and then unwrap them and debunk them, um, and help people understand that, you know, for example, the running thing, you know, it's, maybe giving this person shin splints or um, it's making it impossible for them to eat enough food so that they're not feeling like they need to binge eat, right? And so helping them to, to unravel the, the behaviors that they've developed um, and this, the scripts around those behaviors and, and learn that, you know, you can go on a run a couple times a week and still be <clears throat> in great shape, still be, you know, getting adequate exercise, um, but not be tearing yourself down in the process, you know? So.
0: Mm, I love the, 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 idea of the language in the scripts. It's so, it is, they're, they're so entrenched sometimes. And, and these patterns are survival patterns, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're not there for a reason, like somehow we've attached, our survival to them and so it's it's like I think just bringing some compassion to like I should be better or I should be able to do this better and and just really understanding that that a lot of those scripts were around like developed really young and around our survival and and that it's really normal and okay that they're there and it's really okay and normal to Desire for them not to be there, and to to rewrite some new ones as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. I um, I'm conscious of time, and the sun's just coming up here, which is beautiful. But I wanted to just ask, what is something at the moment that you are finding challenging, and what's something that you are feeling good about? Like, and like, where is energy flowing, and where are you finding it challenging right now?
1: Mm. you know <laughs> i've had a a larger struggle than I anticipated having um with my my work in the last six months, but especially like especially in the last six months, but prior to that over the last year and a half and <clears throat> a lot of it stemmed initially from um my responses to my husband's well-being like he he was really struggling health-wise um he had really deep depression lots of anxiety like he was just really really sick and ill and not feeling well um and we're going on you know over a year and a half of that although thank goodness it's starting to to really get better um But I didn't realize the toll that that was taking on me and my creativity and my energy and my interest in my work. Like it really caring for him and thinking about how to get him better (laughs) really like sucked the life force out of my work for the last, um, especially the last six months, but really the last year and a half. And I've known that in the last six months, but that I was sort of like powerless to do anything about it <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or like, I just felt powerless to do anything about it. And over the last couple of weeks, um, thankfully, even in the last few days, to be honest, that has started to shift again and I'm starting to feel like my power is returning. Um, basically because I've made the mental shift of like, you were being like, I was creating misery for myself because I wasn't doing, I wasn't being accountable to the daily things with my, with respect to my business that I needed to be accountable to do in order to keep the ball rolling, right. To keep the energy moving, to keep the passion, the spark alive. And I think that one of the things that I struggle with, I know that a lot of my clients struggle with this is like, the misconception that, you know, we're always going to feel motivated and interested and passionate in the things that we want to have <laughs> motivation and interest and passion about. And like, really, our, our motivation and our interest and our passions, they need to be cultivated. Yeah. And I, I didn't have the energy and the wherewithal and the ability for a while to cultivate my passion and so I'm, I'm coming back to that and it's starting to feel really good. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I'm <gonna laughs> Thank you for re- sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of regenerate and renew that, that interest in that passion.
0: Mm, well, I certainly hear it, hear it when I hear you talk about it. And I think that right now, like it's really profound to me you know I teach a lot about social leadership and it's really profound to me that never before in the history of of our times at least um since the industrial revolution have we been in this situation maybe the world wars but really have we been in a situation where our well-being is the well-being of the collective you know that that how Mm -hmm. we look after ourselves in this moment is how we're looking after the collective because there is no separation spiritually but literally right now there is no separation like if you don't want to make people sick you have to look after yourself and there's consequences now you know there is consequences for the way that we look after ourselves and the way that we're nourishing ourselves and I think that we've never had that before and so I think that the wellness space in general and the nexus between wellness and social leadership is like the veil is getting very thin there and I'm really excited personally to dive into that and I really see you as a thought leader in that as well in terms of like coming back to this idea of minimal wellness and just the basics like really coming back to the bait taking care of the basics um yeah yeah, so I'm excited for you thank
1: (laughs) you I'm excited for us as you know well this is going to be a really painful and challenging time for our society but I think that a lot of beauty and good um, can and hopefully will come out of it and that you know we'll will adjust and we will develop new and better ways of existing in this world um, that hopefully work better for individuals and you know small micro communities and then societies at large it just it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful opportunity through the through the pain and you know torturous discomfort but like it's still an opportunity
0: well sure I I really I really really feel that as well and I mean I think that um it it, it, is it has to come through the individual you know I think what this conversation has done for me and really grateful to you is just brought me back to um you know I'm holding a lot of space at the moment for a lot of people and that's okay but I also um the degree to which I can hold others is really the degree to which I'm honoring and valuing myself enough to take care of myself. You know, I don't, I really don't think as women, we have a wellness problem or a burnout problem or a binge eating problem. I don't think, I think we have a self-worth problem. And I think that Mm, that all of those mm -hmm. things are like symptoms of that. And so, um, you've really just reminded me that, you know, I'm worthy of nourishment and that, um, that, that, that everything else can wait, as you said, with your journey with your husband as well. And I think as mothers, we go through this Is like, everyone else's needs feel so important. And yet right now, like we can't lead unless we're nourished. It's just not going to be sustainable.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's true all the time, but it's especially true now.
0: It really is. I wonder whether there's anything else your inner guidance system feels Important to say before we wrap up anything for our listeners that you feel like offering.
1: Gosh, no, I think
0: the way you just ended it was perfect. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you. I'm so glad we've had this conversation. I'm really grateful to connect. I think that um I'm so grateful that I that I have this growing network of women like yourself doing the work that you're doing and that we are really in this together and even though we live on the other side of the world yeah (laughs) uh, literally (laughs) literally I'm really yeah grateful to have connected
1: likewise likewise Meg you're a light and I'm so grateful that I get to have you in my life it's wonderful
0: (laughs) amazing thank you thank you